Hello and welcome to the Training in Public Health podcast. I'm Shamal Haroon. There's been rising recognition of the importance of community development and engagement in public health to improve population health and well-being, increase the resilience of local communities and deliver public health services that are appropriate to the populations they serve. I spoke to Emily van der Venter to discuss this further. So, hi Emily. Um, Thanks very much for, for taking part and could you could you just introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, thanks, Jamil. So I'm a, a phase three registrar currently working in the southwest in the Seven Deanery. Um, I'm on a, an academic placement at the moment with um, the University of Bristol stroke NIHR Clark West, which is the National Institute for Health Research Collaboration for Leadership in Applied Health Research and Care. It's quite a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a great, great um, program where they're linking kind of service and academic work. Um, so it's really all about kind of knowledge transfer and supporting uh, local services to, to develop a bit, a bit more rigor in their approach and develop the evidence base. Um, so I'm working with the ethnography team at the moment, working on a, a joint project with North Somerset Council, which was my previous placement, which I'll talk a bit about later right. as well. Um, and I'm doing a, an evaluation of a project which I set up while I was at the council. Um, so we'll come on to more about the projects and the placements in a moment. Um, but just to say a couple of words about how I came into public health. Yeah, that would be really helpful. Sure. So um, as a, from a non-medical background, I came into the scheme from um, working in public health intelligence, um, so very much kind of analyst stats kind of background, um, and I really enjoyed the breadth of topics that I got to work on and kind of the insight into public health that I developed, uh, but was really keen to get involved in the next steps, really. So a lot of my work was focused on identifying health needs and looking, you know, obviously analysing the data and re- making recommendations from that. Um, and I really wanted to get more involved in those next steps in terms of actually addressing those needs and, and promoting health. Brilliant. I'm sure it would have helped you a lot on the training scheme. It's been useful, yeah. yeah. It did help with Part A, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my thoughts, exactly. Um, so could you tell me a bit more about the work that you've done on community development and engagement? Sure, yeah. So while I was at North Somerset Council, um, I mean, that was my first phase three placement. So I was looking to lead on areas um, and, and I kind of get involved in the culture within the local authority. Um, and there's a, a really deprived area. So one of the most deprived um, lower super upper areas within the country in uh, just outside Western Supermare. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to start up a project <coughs> to promote health and well-being broadly, um, but particularly looking at develop community development approaches, which was brand new for me. Um, as I say, coming back, coming from more of a statistics background, community development areas, you know, it's more woolly, kind of softer approach. Um, but yeah, it was up for the challenge. Yeah. Um, so the project involved setting up a, a steering group with senior representatives from within the council. So that was uh, children's housing and public health. Um, and then a range of partners, including the police, a social housing provider, the community services partnership. Um, and we also involved a local councillor and a couple of local residents. Um, and really initially just came together to look at developing a strategy for uh, improving health in the area. Um, it's, as I say, high deprivation, high need, high levels of unemployment, social housing, mental health needs. You can kind of go on and on listing the, the problems. 
but we were quite interested to try out this asset-based approach. So that's rather than starting with the problems, you kind of shift your lens to look at the positives of the area um, and then what you can build upon. So I think that's quite different from the traditional approach we've had where we kind of uh, look at the health needs of that population and highlight all the problems. Exactly. And you're kind of flipping it around. Yeah, and it's an area that was quite kind of stigmatised locally as well, negative perceptions from people within the area and external people looking in. Um, and when you kind of reel off all these health needs, it just perpetuates that stigmatisation and, and negative perception, really. Right. Um, so the idea was, yeah, to take a more positive approach and try and build pride in the area, really, um, and and help residents to see what they have got and what they can offer um, and start to build up more positive social networks, get some more community groups going. Um, I suppose I should say this, uh, there is a growing interest in asset-based approaches within public health. Um, yeah. And I think partly it's come from uh, the background of the cuts and kind of looking where we can get communities to do more for themselves. Mm. Um, and, and and that's great. You know, the communities have got lots to offer, but you just need to be a bit careful in terms of making sure it doesn't replace the need for services. You know, it very much has to go alongside um, more traditional approaches um, and, and support from local agencies and organisations. Cool. So, yeah, shift in focus. And it was challenging. It took us a few months, really, to advocate for the approach um, and to convince some of the stakeholders that, it was worthwhile and we you know this project was looking much more at the social determinants of health mm. um, and so we had to really argue the benefits of, of addressing those needs um, rather than just looking at you know your more obvious um, determinants such as smoking and pregnancy and those kind of um, more traditional public health uh, initiatives. So how difficult was it to to convince people because I imagine you know it's, it's quite a complex thing to help communities develop and how, how did you mm. frame your argument for for promoting so, this? Sure so um, we had a few of the stakeholders in our group were quite interested one had worked in an area uh, previously where they'd used this approach so that was really helpful to have their support um, but one of the key things that really turned it around for us was going to visit a site in Gloucester where they'd in, uh, implemented asset-based community development and a, had a couple of community builders working on the ground and actually having people see, seeing it in practice made such a difference compared to actually talking about the theory. Um, so initially there was a lot of debate about, well, is this really a new approach to community development? You know, people have been doing this kind of thing for a long time. But once they saw it in action, I think they did realise that it is slightly different from things that have been done before um, and we're up for giving it a go. So we heard some really good um, examples um, and feedback of stories from from the other areas. Uh, so yeah, that made the difference. Um, so to say a little bit more about what the asset-based community development project actually was, yeah, um, it's it, it's uh, based on having some community builders, so community development workers, effectively right. on the ground, who engage with local residents on an individual basis and just help them to identify their own skills and identify what they're interested in mm -hmm. and then try and stimulate some local activities um, on the basis of that and, and recruiting volunteers to help support it. So the the groups are given very small grants, uh, two, 200, £250 um, pockets of funding for each group just to stimulate um, either new groups or support for existing groups to help them become a bit more sustainable. 
So what would these groups typically do, or was it extremely varied? Yeah, so it's quite mixed. I mean, we've had some that have started up around uh, photography, so local people that have got skills in in photography, um, then starting up a a group to help people develop skills, so then, you know, engaging others that have got interest in photography. Um, And I think that's a really nice example because there's both the kind of individual skill development but the photography group themselves are going out and taking pictures of the area and pictures of local people to try and capture and uh, and show off uh, the the positive aspects of the area. So, you know, ni- nice aesthetics uh, within the area or people and interesting stories that have come from there. Um, so that's a really nice one. We've got knitting groups that um, are going on, craft craft groups, which really engage um, predominantly older people at the moment, but trying to get that a bit more intergenerational. Um, and then there's gardening groups, so people might go around and, and help neighbours just look after their garden a bit and some of the public spaces as well. The, the social housing provider is quite involved in that side of things. So these small grants are helping to buy just basic equipment, you know, mm. gardening shears and things, um, printing costs for the photographic exhibitions, small things, but actually initial feedback, it sounds like it is really making a difference locally. Yeah, and it's, it's quite different from, you know, our, our traditional perspective of health, just focusing on risk factors and diseases and, and looking at how you can get more social capital. I imagine that's one of the strengths of this approach is that you yeah. do you do kind of... Um, develop social capital yeah that's the main aim and it's an area where um community engagement really has been a bit lacking um in terms of more formal uh setups and engaging with the council so the idea is this is a really long-term project where initially we stimulate community activity and and build some more social capital and in the longer term hopefully that will feed into more um formalized kind of co-production approaches towards service changes Could you say a bit more about co-production? Because I imagine there'll be quite a few people listening who who aren't so familiar with that. Sure. So, I mean, that's really similar principles to this asset base in terms of going to service users and going to the um, communities that you're working in um, and really getting them involved in service changes right from the beginning. So it's more than just consultation. Um, But, yeah, getting them to shape service development, you might be getting them involved in some of the actual carrying out some of the research behind um, informing service decision service change decisions um and yeah so really involving them through the whole process so that must be quite it must be quite challenging to to get um people from the local community to to kind of invest that much uh, in in the development of services or 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 isn't it difficult i I mean maybe i'm making an assumption there well i mean you know i don't think we're quite there at that stage yet with north somerset with with this area anyway so yes it is certainly it's difficult um and it's really, you know, the, I think the challenge is trying to get to those people that aren't normally involved. We, we often do community engagement and it's the same old faces that come forward. So it's, it's trying to tap into a broader uh, mix of people. Um, there have been successes. I forget the area now, but I heard a nice talk a year or so ago um, from a local authority where the, the drug team had done a lot of co-production work um, using service users um, and really yeah, developing the, the service to combat issues around access, barriers to access and things by actually really understanding and listening to, to the users in the first place. Yeah, I imagine you could get so much intelligence just from, from listening more and, and kind of uh, 
less telling people what's wrong with their communities, but trying to understand it from their perspective, Absolutely. what the strengths are. Yeah, and that's the whole basis of the asset-based approach, really, is a kind of stepping back as professionals saying, these are your problems and we know how to come in and fix it, to actually saying to them, you know, what are the, what are the benefits of of work of living where you do and actually we recognize that you know a lot more about your area and your your needs or your strengths um than we do and and giving over a bit of power so there's there's perceived bit of risk there um in terms of you know we have from public health with this project we have intended longer term outcomes Mm. but actually what the community might want might not fit quite right with those um outcomes so it's about stepping back and saying actually the outcomes that the community want, we need to value and we need to support them in, in reaching those. Yeah. And, and could you say just a bit more about asset mapping? Because I know that's, that's a, a task that I imagine we'll get more and more involved in and, and, sure. and how that might feed in with a joint strategic needs assessment, for example. Yeah, so um, the, when we started this project, we did a big health needs assessment, um, but we also incorporated a bit of an assets assessment, so some early asset mapping. Um, so we went out and we looked at, there's there's kind of different levels of it, the physical assets of an area, which might be nice green spaces that you could make more of, um, institutional assets, so who what organisations are already working there, let's say the community associations and groups, um, and then the residents. So we predominantly focused, because we were doing it from an organisational perspective, um, on the the physical, the organisations and the community associations. So we hadn't yet got to the individual skills level, um, because that's a a big project in itself. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, Yeah, so, and I put a bit of caveats around our um, assets assessment for the area because we did it from really an external perspective looking in you know looking at the internet to see what's there walking around the local community um, just to make initial contacts and, and scope out what's in the area um, but one of the important things really about asset mapping is getting that community involvement mm-hmm. um, and understanding what assets they value um, the, the kind of theories behind asset-based community development say if the community doesn't value it it's not a health promoting asset so then um you either park it and deal with that later or you can look at actually how do we make that more of a a community asset and something that people do value and do want to use um so that could be a local park that you know if it's seen as a place where there's high crime and people are scared to go then it's not going to be a health promoting asset so you need to obviously engage with um with residents and, and other partners like the police to see what you can do to try and shift that towards something more positive for the area. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like you involved quite a lot of stakeholders in, in making this happen. Yeah, and that's been really important, partly because of the, obviously, the breadth of the determinants of health really cross-cutting so many organisations um, and having their support to look at the longer-term goals. But actually, you know, as we've said, it is a shift um, in perspective to start looking at assets so we had to get so many people on board um, to support what we're doing in terms of taking it forwards. Mm. And, and what do you see as coming almost the outputs of this do you uh, you know and, and and how do you think you're going to evaluate what what's been the outcome? Yeah I mean, so if I can just go back a step as that brings me quite nicely on to my other placement which is with the the academic placement with mm. Clark West. Um, so my position was at, 
I actually went on maternity leave just as we were commissioning some community builders to come in and, and get the, the skills mapping off the ground. Um, and then an opportunity came up with Clark West um, to for some research support to support local projects. So we'd put in a bid to get some support to do an evaluation. And I was lucky that it timed quite nicely with my return from maternity leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very fortuitous. Yeah. To then come in and lead this evaluation. Um, so it's early days. It's not even been running for a full year now. Mm. Um, so it's a very early kind of process evaluation, really, and just to explore um, people's perceptions of the project so far and whether they think it's it's appropriate for the local area. Um so to come on to what we hope will come out of it, um, it's really, as I've said, about building social networks which we know support positive health, supporting um, the community activities to be more sustainable and building that local pride in the area. Um, so the kind of theories underpinning it are around salutogenesis um, and fortogenesis, which is about understanding what makes people strong, what builds up that kind of internal resilience to be able to cope with life's challenges. Um, so that's both on kind of an individual and hopefully a, a, a community level as well. So we're hoping that we'll see in terms of outcomes that we can monitor. Um, we've got some baseline data from the local quality of life survey. Uh, some areas call it a place survey. So that looks at things like trust in the neighbourhood, um, perceptions of crime whether they feel people get along with each other and whether they feel they can influence decisions locally so that's a bit about um, how they collaborate with uh, the local authority um, and other organizations so we're hoping to see improvements in those um, and we also commissioned a, a survey on uh, well-being and social isolation so we used um, the Warwick Edinburgh mental well-being scale um, and in terms of social isolation, some of those uh, indicators around trust and belonging that I mentioned. Um, so we're hoping to re repeat that survey in a few years' time and hopefully see some positive outcomes there as well. Well, really looking forward to, to seeing the results of that evaluation. Maybe we can have uh, this kind of discussion in a year's time and, and see how that's gone. That would be uh, really good, yeah. Yeah, and I imagine there'll be lots of people working in local authorities who'd be really interested in the work that you're doing as well. So it would be great to, to disseminate the findings from that. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to do that. I know there is, as I've said before, growing interest in this asset-based approach. Since working on it, I've, I've spoken to people in the local area that are just starting up um, initiatives using this approach as well. So, yeah, it'd be really good to share any findings I have from the um, early evaluation with you. Brilliant. And and what sort of skills do you think you developed and it, when you were doing this work and, and how it sort of relates to all the learning outcomes that we have in, in public health? Sure. Um, so for me, I mean, there was a personal shift in kind of I was I was quite sold on the needs assessment approach. Mm. Really enjoyed, you know, looking at the, the data and that side of things. Um, so, yeah, personally, I had to shift over to actually understanding this asset based, strengths based approach and um, valuing it. I really think there's a lot to be to be said for it. Mm. Um, and then in terms of skills relating to the, the curriculum, a lot of leadership and advocacy and negotiation skills, particularly in those early days of getting that stakeholder group together um, and trying to form a common vision. 
Um, and then there was project and program management aspects. So project management for the uh, community development work. Um, but that was just, although it was the main part, it was one part of a broader action plan for the area. Um, so it's a bit more kind of wider program management in that sense. Mm. Um, and then for me, a lot of understanding of the local uh, local authority culture. Um, really had to, and it was really valuable engaging with um, and maintaining a relationship with the local councillor. He became a real key person and actually someone that was a bit reluctant beforehand, but we really managed to shift uh, his view of the project. And then having him on board made such a difference with the, the wider council as well. Oh, brilliant. So it sounds like it stretched quite a, quite a lot uh, across the curriculum. Absolutely. Um, it was really challenging. And as I say, coming back from more of a kind of epidemiological background, used to hard measures of success um, so moving into this more softer community development area was a challenge for me as well but really good to develop some of those uh, softer skills and the leadership skills too. Yeah and c- can you think of um, just generally the, the, the benefits that, that this might bring to population health? We've always talk, already talked about social capital but just mm-hmm. more generally how, how do you th- see this affecting health and well-being? Well, I mean, one of the key problems in the area, I'm talking about problems again, but uh, there is a high level of of mental health need. Um, So we're really hoping that this will start addressing, um, promoting positive well-being among uh, residents, Um, partly through, as I've said, the social capital and also that kind of trying to change the perception of the area because sometimes that can become internalised with individuals and they start to you know, it's a bit demoralising. They start to feel fit into that um, view of, well, why bother trying? You know, people from here never get anywhere. Um, so, yeah, trying to shift that, which then starts to, you know, cut across lots of the determinants, looking at skills development and employment opportunities. Um, yeah. So yeah. Building yeah. resilience. Yeah, I'm sure it cuts across many aspects of health and well-being. I was thinking mental health might be an area that, you know, we often neglect and, and possibly... This approach might might really benefit mental health. Yeah, we're really hoping so. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you have any advice you'd like to share with other registrars who are interested in gaining experience in community development? Yeah, I mean, go for it. It's really it's a really interesting, and I found it quite a fulfilling area to work within. Um, it's really nice to actually have a bit more contact with the public um, than we sometimes have. Um, as I've said, there's growing interest in asset-based approaches and community development more more broadly. Um, it's It was challenging, you know, it, it was a shift from, from the ways of working that I'm used to, um, but I would just say, yeah, go for it. <laughs> Get stuck in. <laughs> yeah, just do it. <laughs> yeah. uh, are there any reports or, or research articles you'd recommend reading? Uh, So there's um, a whole website, Asset-Based Community Development um, is a a brand, if you like, as a package, was developed in the States. So there's um, the ABCD Institute website, which is a really good resource for understanding this approach. um, And they've got loads of of reports and examples you can find. Mm. Um, You can download, sorry. In terms of academic literature... Uh, the evidence base is a bit limited. There's lots of grey literature out there from the ABCD Institute and from other areas that have done small pilot projects um, and written up kind of softer evaluation reports. But as I say, the the academic literature is a bit more sparse. Um, I've been reading some interesting papers, though, if you 
kind of look at the theories underpinning it mm. uh, from the psychological side of things. So uh, I've mentioned around salutogenesis. Yeah. Um, that's a really one, interesting one to get involved in, just looking at the... Um, uh, the physical, uh, sorry, the personal attributes that help you cope with with life's challenges. So, um, there's a salutogenesis underpinned by theory. Um, uh, sorry, <laughs> um, understanding a sense of coherence, have an individual yeah. having a sense of coherence. So that's about whether they think um, they have the resources to cope um, with challenges, whether they think that events in life have some kind of meaning uh, with a wider world mm. um yeah still yeah. still getting involved in that literature at the moment so perhaps next time we talk I can update you a bit more on that yeah absolutely it's the first <laughs> time I've heard that term so <laughs> it was great yeah that you I have to it. say I mean in terms of working with the community we had to be careful not to use these kind of really big fancy words when we initially spoke about salutogenesis with the counsellor it just turned him right off like <laughs> what are you coming in and talking to me about all this fancy malarkey um so it's about adapting the language appropriately um and so then as i say we start talking about strengths and building internal uh, resources to cope with challenges sure i'm sure that would resonate more with counsellors <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, that's that's really helpful. Any conferences you'd recommend, either in this area or more generally? Yeah, I mean, so um, in terms of the asset-based development approach, I went to some really good training courses from uh, Forever Manchester, who they've done quite a lot of work um, in this area in Manchester. So it was really good to um, to hear from their experiences, and, and they were quite good at explaining it in simple terms. Um and then just to plug a more local conference, um, we've got a, a public health residential school in the southwest, which I recently attended, um, and they had a, a really good session on real-world evaluations. Um, so that was uh, some academics from University of Bristol and London School of Hygiene, okay. uh, just sharing their experiences of working with local areas. Um, and one of the key learning points from that really was... Um, the value of developing a, a theory of change, um, which essentially is unpacking uh, your project, why you think it might work and what the outcomes are that you're looking for and, and breaking it down into a process or a flowchart process diagram. Um, and you look at each of the stages from inputs uh, to outcomes and impacts on a longer term scale so you're kind of looking at short-term processes yeah. all the way through to longer term outcomes um, and yeah just just breaking it down like that at the beginning can really help you to think well, what are we doing and what data can we gather to support support what we're doing initially and then to evaluate in in the longer term that sounds really useful because I can just imagine a, a project of this complexity just trying to unpick what exactly you're doing and, and how it's working um, must be really, really difficult and having a structure for doing that must be very helpful. Yeah, so I mean I'd really recommend people looking into um, theories of change and process of change um, diagrams because it can be applied to anything really from complex to more simple interventions and it just really helps you to start to see any unintended consequences or yeah, pick up, you, you should do it with a group of people as well, not really just on your own so that you get more um, information in terms of yeah, things you hadn't thought about that might happen or that you might need to put into the project. Sounds great. Um, is there anything else you'd, you'd like to comment on that, that we haven't covered? Um, 
I think that's probably covered quite a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I've learned so much actually in the, in the last half hour or so. Um, thanks so much for your time. No problem. Thanks, Jamil, and good luck with the podcast. Thanks very much. Cheers. And many thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.